Welcome to a brand new series of the Brand Stylist Podcast. I am so excited to be back. I've got some amazing guests for you. And we are kicking off this second series with the wonderful Saima Khan of the Hampstead Kitchen. Saima is an incredible entrepreneur. She's a philanthropist and she has an absolutely incisive vision for what her business is all about and who she best serves. Saima creates sharing platters and really generous, colourful, flavoursome food for some of the most high profile clients in the country. And just talking to her and listening to how she built her business, the story behind where her business idea came from, and also how she fits her charity commitments into her everyday business is a real inspiration for me, and I hope you are going to love it. So I'm very excited today to have Saima of the Hampstead Kitchen with us. Hello, Saima. Hi, Fiona. How are you doing? I'm so good. Do you know, I'm so excited to have you with us because you've got such an incredible story. You've built such an amazing business. And obviously you make amazing food because you cater for the workshops Sophie and I run in London. Well, you know, we've chatted as you've been prepping food. And every time I speak to you, I'm inspired. And, you know, I think you've got so many experiences and such a powerful vision to share with the listeners that I know they're going to love it. So would you like to explain a little bit about what you do? Okay, so the Hampstead Kitchen is basically a private catering business based around Hampstead um, and we create food around the sharing concept and what that means is any culture, like mainly Nordics, Scandinavian, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean, Persian food, that's a range in a sharing sort of concept is what we tend to focus on. We don't do the stereotypical three-course dinners, meat and two veg, and that's how we kind of set ourselves apart from the other caterers in the business. So that's essentially what we do, um, but it's now become a very global business. Um, where we travel all around the world for certain clients who love the way we style our food, but most importantly, love our flavors. So yeah, it, it started off as a local business, but it's now a global business. Yeah, I want to come on to that in a minute. But your food, your spreads that you put on for us, they're so vibrant. They're so beautifully styled. They taste amazing. Yeah, I can see how that's caught the imagination. So how long have you been running your business now? Officially since 2013, which is coming up to five and a half years. So it's yep. still a relatively new business. But I uh, I was in New York before that and I came in 2012, spent like probably six months researching my business. But as you know, with all business, it takes many nights to become an overnight success. <laughs> yeah. um, we focus mainly locally. I'm making sure we had a local presence before we started venturing in central London and other areas. That was really important for people to understand it was a local business. Yes. And you you say local business, and obviously it is local, but you have, I think, probably some of the most high-profile clients it's possible to have. You know, yeah, so Sophie and I, obviously, amongst them. Um, <laughs> I mean, 
that's happened by chance, but ultimately there was a gap in the market. And Hampstead is a very particular area where there's a lot of old money here. People aren't very bling. They are all, they're very well traveled. They've been to most Michelin's restaurants around the world. So when they were having a dinner party in their house, they're looking for to make their guests happy. They're not looking to show off and that's what sets them apart. And which is why it resonated with me in the first place and still does. Yeah. Um, It it just works really well. So why don't you tell us how you, how your business came about? What's your story? Okay, so in a nutshell, I've been in banking for about 20 years, very happy, very content. I was in New York around sort of 2012, enjoying my job, but as with most corporate jobs, you are working a minimum of 12 to 16 hours a day. But this is the norm at a senior level. And I was working for Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, head of their sort of global risk projects. So happy, content. And then one day I meet Warren in a waiting room of an airport lounge. I saw him across the room and thought, why don't I just go and chat to him? Had no agenda. So we started chatting about food, love, relationships, his wife, about food. And that's when we really got into a knee-deep conversation. And anyone who's been to New York knows that whilst we in Britain have the best sort of curry houses in New York, they don't really have the same. So I, when I used to miss home, I have a mum and dad's spice book, I would make like a really lovely chicken with lots of rice and lots of lentils. And that would remind me of home, the spices. And so we started talking about food and I stupidly just said, you have to come over and experience this yourself. And he said, yes, I will do. Thinking nothing of it, we said our goodbyes and then we left. Two weeks later, his PA calls and said, Warren Astrid would love to come over for dinner. And I thought somebody was winding me up. (laughs) And I thought, okay, well, the only people who know are my parents because I didn't even bother telling anybody because it's such a ridiculous story. So I take off half a day, pick up lots of food. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to make food that I'm just going to enjoy. So throughout my banking career, I've traveled extensively. And so I always used to style, like have proper runners and serving plates. So I was I was doing food from my Iranian and Pakistani culture. So I decided to, um, you know, get the right sort of the playlist, the smells and stuff. And that's what I do really well. And so I get a call in the afternoon saying that Warren has some other friends who are in town who also love, you know, South Asian food. Could they possibly come along? I wasn't going to say no. <laughs> come along. Um, so I knee deep cooking my usual thing and then I get a knock on the door and I open my door and you know I see Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren and his wife Wow! and, and I just thought okay fine is this really happening <laughs> so casually they were in the kitchen while I was making fresh chapatis and it was just a lovely lovely evening and they just basically said my god you really have a gift the way you serve your food the way you feed people it's such a delight we really enjoyed this dinner and I was really blown away that, that they received it in the way that it was meant to be received um Belimelind of Gates as you know they do a lot of philanthropy work and they have several projects going on in South Asia so they said we have a fundraiser in, uh, in about two months' time, would you like to cater? It's just 20 people, high-profile people coming. So I said, yeah. I just always say, yeah, and, and then panic later. <laughs> I went two days before, sourced the food, a lot of security, but I thought that was a no- norm. Yeah. Um, 
and do all the food, set the table, and then everybody, all the guests start arriving, but I'm in the kitchen. Yeah. I walk into the room and I see people like the Obamas, Clinton, uh, Warren Buffett and his wife, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and his uh, partner, Priscilla, Sheryl Sandberg and Charles Koch and the mayor of New York. And I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and I couldn't talk. And then they were just like, don't worry, this food is amazing. I love your napkins. And these were napkins my mum bought me like 15 years ago from Pakistan. And I had runners from Iran and I had all my dishes and stuff. And I just loved how people just, you know, uh, just loved it. They said, oh, it's so nice to eat off a plate and, um, and eat with your hands and not off a white plate. So I realized that visually it was completely different to what these guys expect because they have three or four forks and, you know, like a formal napkin. And this is really unusual for them. And I think for me, before even eat the food, the you know, the first bite is with the eye. If the table looks enticing and look it looks a bit different it catches your attention and that's exactly what I did yeah and that's how I got into the high profile world and they said we have an event going on and we have an event and I said something really profound there which later on they told me and I said how can you actually you know and I wrote this um, menu called breaking bread and I said the meal that you're having is a meal that somebody wouldn't even have once a year you know so they wanted them to really connect with the people they were raising funds for and um and i said you can't do a fundraiser and have steak and lobster for people in india that just doesn't make sense to me yeah that was a thing that was really um a hit home and they said well this girl is special we want her to cook up for our event and then they started telling their friends and then i was working monday to friday in my office and then in the weekends I was traveling different places you know south of France for these really lovely clients wow so I was working pretty much so seven you kind of weeks. started out as a bit of a private chef I guess did yeah. you exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah thinking I was doing it for fun but then I was realizing that I was enjoying it so much that why shouldn't I just change my career I mean there's no higher uh, level that I want to achieve now and you know I was a managing director at that level so that's as far as I actually wanted to go so I thought okay you know what why don't I take some time off and then when I asked for that they said you can take six months or um, a year off paid sabbatical and wow. research on this so I they became my mentors they became my friends and so they gave me the tools I needed to go and research and see whether I should set up the business in New York, in London. Okay. Yeah. So that's basically how it started. So I think one of the biggest things you have in your favour, apart from obviously an immensely lucky break with your first client, was that you've got a really clear idea around what your food is, where the gap is in the market, and kind of what you stand for. And it sounds to me like that happened from day one. Would you agree? Yes, because I, what I wanted to do was to be very clear why I was serving the food this way, why there was only a fork and no knife, yeah. why 
way there was chipped plates and stuff and how I tied it into the menu. Storytelling is really part of getting people on board so they can, you know, you're talking about serving food to people who are used to having a bread plate and you explain to them that everything goes together. So you need to set the scene, set the tone and be very clear as to why you're doing this. Everything has a purpose. And I think that storytelling is very key to what we do. And I did it by chance, by accident. But even today, when we have events, we do the same concept. We introduce the food. We don't just serve. All my chefs and my staff have to do the storytelling, you know, tell, oh, my God, we cooked this food for so-and-so. And this also was served in Calais for the refugees. That storytelling is very important before even people try the food. I guess the point is that you've added that element of magic through your storytelling and you've created an experience. And, you know, some people will go to someone like Heston from for an experience, but you've created a very different but no less magical experience, haven't you? And I guess that's something that I think we can all take inspiration from because You can just serve food. People need to eat and you can just serve food. But actually what you've done is elevated it and thought about what kind of experience you want to create for your clients. And and almost it sounds to me like in looking at why you're not doing things the way in people expect them, that's become your biggest strength. in, In not having a knife, that's made you think about what magic you're bringing. Absolutely. So... It's like it's a very saturated market, you know. So how do you stand out? Obviously, the background story, people impressed with that, that you could leave a job like that to set up a business. Mm. People like the backstory, but also, you know, then you also have to bring it into the present. Your food has to then taste different, look different. Mm. But also you need to tie it in with that, not just the storytelling of how you came into food, but also why you're presenting the food in this way, what it means to you. And then I actually take it to another level where I explain, we we joke about the high-end clients we're serving to, but we also mention the homeless that we serve to as well. So we're saying to them that, you know, we, food is food for everybody. Everybody is here to enjoy it in, in, in very different ways. So it's very important to make those connections with our guests. And actually, that you've touched on that a few times. So it's probably a good time to talk about the charity work that you do yeah. is a really core part of your business. I mean, I guess it's how your business started, isn't it? It happened by chance again. All these things, I feel like I think when you are very connected and plugged into yourself, you hear other people talk about it but unless it doesn't happen to you you don't understand what it is they're saying when you're fully connected and immersed in what you're doing opportunities also come your way because you're really emanating that out to other people when I was in banking I was always on Christmas and and Boxing Day always helping in shelters since I remember in my early 20s and I met various people and you know some of these people got housed and I've kept in touch with them and so I already had a network of, of you know Middle Eastern and Mediterranean men mainly men who were looking for work and these people worked two or three jobs a day and so I already had like a a plethora of chefs who were available and so when they saw the business model that actually we want to have this business we want to help other people in the community and create jobs for them we have people who are ex-offenders you know who work for us but we have a very disciplined way of working and some of our people are still with us since the start of our business 
So we help local our local community. We also support various organizations, some one-off and some on a regular basis. But the people who are actually behind the scenes of my business are, you know, refugee asylum seekers, people who've recently come out of the Grenfell tragedy. They're not working, but they want to come and prep some food and help us. So I believe that it brings a lot more to the business. It has a lot more gravitas and grounding because of that, you know, rather than getting, you know, some qualified chefs. So how many have you got in your team? We have about 36 people full time, but we have a whole load of freelancers. So we have people who come and work with us during the day, yeah. some in the evening and some on the weekend. So the total figure we have is 128 at the moment. My goodness. I mean, that is a beast of a business, isn't yeah. it? I had seven staff at my studio in Guildford full time. Yeah. And that was way enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's quite, um, yeah. you know, just keeping the wheels turning on that is really challenging and I think the temptation is to feel like you've got to chase every single piece of work that comes your way and be knocked down on price constantly isn't it because you know you're conscious that you've got to pay those overheads so how do you navigate that? I think initially you're very clear about who your clientele are. So the first thing for us is we have two lots of clientele. We have a database. So I click, you need to have data to do this. So mm-hmm. in the first couple of years, we realized we had men who were in their 40s, right? Yeah. And then we had couples who were in their 50s plus. Okay, those are my clientele. Anything in between that is a one-off. If people connect with us and they love what we do, it's very mutual, then well, we will do it. Um, usually it comes down to price. Number two, also in a, pre- a value. If you, we know most of our clients aren't the millennial generation because they're looking for a different type of experience. They need the experience right here, right now, this week, right? Yeah, yeah. Really popular. So that's great if you're, um, you know, app based and you are, you've got something amazing going on in a restaurant. But you have to be very clear that you can't be everything for everyone. They have to be very clear with that. So usually PAs will find us. They will show the boss. The boss will look at he He wants to see a really a finished, a beautiful product. So all these men will always say without doubt, love your website. Just saw the first page and booked it straight away. Yeah. So that two second when someone sees your first page it has to load properly. It has to just say what you, your business is about straight away. Um, if people just get that, and that's a really hard thing. It's taken me a few years to understand that. Mm-hmm. The right picture, it doesn't necessarily have to be a picture of food. It has to be about maybe, you know, a picture of you and the type of clientele, or it has to be something personal that tells that what are you offering you know yeah. and that's a really even a word the, the word created dining experiences it took me ages because <laughs> bespoke is overused artistic yeah. overused what word could you use and I thought actually you're creating a whole event from the site from the sound so it's about kind of being very clear about who your clients are and making sure I mean we sometimes will get the calls like oh I'm doing a Turkish wedding uh, for 500 people and yeah. the budget is 15 pounds a head yes. I, I try not to be snobby i'll yeah. just quietly say either we're fully booked or i'm afraid we, we might be suitable i'll always recommend somebody else i'll quickly yeah. go google because i don't want to ever people have different budgets no, I, mean, I don't think it's about being snobby is it it's just you can't maintain 
your experiences it takes a certain budget it takes a certain amount of manpower and quality of food doesn't it to deliver what you do and and you just can't do that I mean look I'll be very honest you know every business I mean you can have a very successful business but food prices are going up you people's rental properties are going up and it just that has an effect on your business yeah maintain your staff so behind the scenes you know there's a lot of adjusting you have to do you know sometimes you have to think okay this month we need to have this many bookings to cover just our expenses and this is what we need and obviously you have busy periods and you have quiet periods it's about managing your cash flow as well so there have been times where we've liked the clients so much and we and they really understood what we were delivering and sometimes we'll adjust you know we can do this for you remember that and they'll become a you know a return client they'll recommend yeah. it to other people or write as a really good review sometimes you can get it wrong mm. um and you know sometimes but you it's all a learning process yeah it's people I mean I still I have my mobile number I've had my mobile number on there from day one I still receive every single call I'll still write every single uh, menu because mm. I want it to be that I want to understand that the client really understands what we're trying to deliver. If you're thinking we're Marks and Spencers and we'll bring the food in a in a plastic platter, then yeah. I'll have to say very politely, I'm afraid that's not what we're offering with yeah. you know as much grace as possible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how you kind of filter out. You have a gut, you have to follow your gut because believe me, when you don't follow your gut, I think it's so obvious that it doesn't work. And actually that leads me on to a really lovely point which is that I think it was just before my retreat you were telling me about an event you had been booked to cater and somebody you know friend of a friend had asked you to do something different something outside of what you do do you want to explain a bit more about that because I think it's a really good illustration of why it's important to stick to your guns I was contacted by a very, very high profile um, celeb and it was going to be all over the papers, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, she was telling everybody where her flowers and stuff and everybody thing was being made. So it's very high profile. But mm-hmm. she asked me to do a specific afternoon tea. And I thought to myself, if I do this, you know, fine, I can get my name out there. But it wasn't something that we do. And I'm not comfortable in presenting something that I'm not comfortable in doing. I'm not known for cucumber sandwiches or salmon sandwiches. So I think it's better to point people in that direction where they can go to a specialist who are great in doing that. If I look at some other sort of uh, caterers, they're just happy to take all the business. They're just hungry for it. Whereas I have a different approach because I just think we're not playing to our strength. We're not providing what we're known for. So, yes, I will get some publicity out of it. But then also the negative aspect of that is that my brand will get lost. Like, oh, I thought she did sharing concepts. Yeah. yeah. afternoon. So it takes a lot of guts to stand back and say, no, thank you, but I don't think we're ideal. And I actually pointed her to somebody else um, who was ideal and they were happy. But she kept pushing me. She wanted me to do it because Mm -hmm. she had seen my work. But I had to say to her, you've seen my signature menu. How I don't know how I'm going to create that into what you're looking for. Yeah. So I think sometimes, um, and I don't think she was used to that, to be honest. And she didn't take it very well. But I just said to her very kindly that it's not something I'm happy to produce when I'm not good at it, you know. So 
I guess you have to just take and a minute. And have you them as a, this person as a client? Well, actually, she appreciated what I did and who I recommended. Yeah. And has recommended me. And since then, I've actually done a dinner party, a smaller dinner party in her home. And then when I created the food in her home, she understood exactly what I was on about. Yeah. And Yes, when it's when it comes to weddings, you know, people are very if they want something, they want it at any cost without thinking if it's suitable or not. That's the thing that's very hard to see when you're, you know, if you're a service provider and you're in that situation where somebody's asking you for something that you know you just is not playing to your strengths. There's so much pressure, isn't there, to say yes. You know, there's pressure from your overheads, there's pressure from your client, there's pressure because you can see what an opportunity it's going to bring. And yet what you can't see is actually quite often by saying no, it's strengthening your relationship with your clients because they're respecting you for what you are doing. And obviously what you can't see is the impact of taking something on that is not playing to your strengths, how stressful it is, how damaging it can be to your reputation when, you know, if your food is 10 out of 10 normally, you know, what if you deliver a seven out of 10 or an eight out of 10? Exactly. That's exactly what my fear was. Yeah. So I don't have the time to test a new menu in my busiest period. So at the end of the day, that worked out in my favor. But mm. actually, most of us suffer the backlash when we say no to people, to be honest, yeah. when I speak to other creatives. So I can also tell you an example of where... A gut feel is very strong. I got called by a client to do something, local client. I just knew from the minute I spoke to this person that this is not my type of clientele. I don't want to do it. They were more interested in me coming and talking about who I've cooked for. They wanted to show off, basically, and I'm not for that. I couldn't get So I quoted some ridiculous price, and they agreed to pay that price. Oh, no. <laughs> get out of it, right? So I had to honor it, and I did it. What happened was they got the dates wrong. So I said, look, I, I can't be there. And one thing we do is I only take three new clients a day. So we have lots of events going on. I actually throw away a lot of business because I think it's very important when we have a new client for me to go in their home, mm-hmm. understand the client, make sure that they really respond to the food so we can make sure that when we, if we want to cook for them again. Yeah. So in a particular instance, this person, this was last year, we cooked for them and they enjoyed all the food there was no leftovers but they were really annoyed that I wasn't there even though they were so a year later I get this google review just slating my food slating me just because a person couldn't get over and thought I only cook for celebs and I didn't cook for Uh, him okay a year later so my gut feel was right about this person yeah and what I've learned from that is that I can just say very quickly, I said, I would just, now I just say, when I get a call like that, I'm now very clear. I said, um, can I get back to you and check if we have availability? I say it's limited. And also, I don't think where it would be a great fit. I yeah. now have the confidence to say that rather than yeah. hide behind being fully booked. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that I don't think we're a fit for you. If you're booking us because we cook for this wedding mm-hmm. and you want to show it to your clients, I'm afraid, sir, that's not what we're about. That's taken me, because I learned from that bad mistake, you know, you learn from your bad mistakes. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So you're trusting your instincts on whether a client is a good fit for you, effectively. That's how you and I got together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I had had your book out, and then I was talking to you, and I thought, hang on a minute, 
<laughs> to the lady of the book. But, you know, we speak to a lot of well-known people who've written books. And that's another reason why I hurried up and called you. I thought, oh, my God, I love this person's brand. I love her authentic voice. I would love to be involved in some way. And so there was a mutual excitement. You like what we do and, yeah. and vice versa. So yeah. we worked it out and I thought, okay, let's make this work. I think you contacted us for a summer workshop initially. Yes. We yes. were quite booked and I couldn't do, we do lunches, but we couldn't do the lunch. I yeah. thought I'm going to make this work somehow because I would love to meet these lovely women. It was a gut feel. It just felt right that yeah. it was a crazy day, but you know what, I'm, somehow I'm going to make this work. You well, know. that is the wonder of Instagram, isn't it? When you get it right, because we wouldn't have found you if it wasn't for Instagram and knowing what your brand stood for. And you're very cohesive on there. And I guess, yeah, you probably would have found my book, but it's my Instagram and my blog that helps you see what kind of person I am for better or worse. No, no, no. But also you called me. It was a conversation. We just, yeah, exactly. it was a connection. It was just yeah. like, you know, because initially it was like, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm already booked. Yeah. And then I called and I thought, actually, if I do this this way, I would love to do this. So I think yeah. if it had been an email, I think it would have been, it would have, yeah, it I, that voice no. wouldn't have come across. No. But just, <gasps> do you know, I wasn't even going to talk to you about this, but I see so often it's a real bee in my bonnet, particularly with brand stylists is they insist on on taking briefs as a questionnaire and it does my nut because how can you capture the essence of a business if you're not speaking to someone you know you just you can't do it you can't anyway this is off way off track for but it's so important people forget this thing that it's people at the end of the day if you had written me an email I would have looked at it and said I'm fully booked end of story yeah, yeah. But the fact that you spoke and we had such a lovely conversation I think this is what people forget you know Instagram is great for making an introduction yes but out with a phone call and being just yourself yeah. you're yourself I'm myself and that's why we I think we've and you know same with Sophie that's why we've gotten on so well I think yeah. that's yeah. all it is exactly. you do tell a great story as well that helps um, <laughs> so, so I mean I just think there's so many inspiring things with you you know your philanthropy your very clear vision of what your business is all about the clear success the charity stuff you're doing by supporting people the other thing that really inspired Sophie and I recently was the fact that your business is always evolving you were telling us in the summer about this banquet in a box. And I love the fact that your business is always evolving. So do you want to tell us what it is and how that came about? Okay. The banquet in a box is for my regular clientele who are very familiar of, of our food, but are having a casual get together where they're having 10 or 20 people. They don't necessarily need the staff, but they want the food served the same, um, designed the same way, presented the same way, but left to enjoy it. And so again, it's about collecting data. I was like saying, no, we can't do drop-offs. We have, we have to obviously focus on our events. So for the last two or three years, I was just seeing that there was, there was no business. Like there was no one I could recommend. There was one person about three or four miles away. So he was very happy. I was giving him lots of work, mm -hmm. but he was only able to provide, to do a drop-off or a pickup. There was still no, there was still a key thing missing, but I love your serving dishes. So we thought and thought about it. And so also there's a front side to the business, but there's a back side to the business too. So post 2008, I was hit um, with how, how banking crisis happened. I was hit with a very huge tax bill. 
And most of the people in banking around that time, a tax law changed and people had to sell their houses and their businesses. Oh, I was lucky that I had left in 2012. It was £125,000 tax bill. Right. So, okay, I found lots of money under the carpet, under the sofa. I collected as much as I could, but I was left with literally £100 in my bank account and I have a successful business. Yeah. Um, so these things happen in life. So that made me think, okay, right. There's a demand for like January, February was a very quiet time. There's a demand for this. Let's just get this going. Yeah. So I, went, I was going to Turkey and Greece and Lebanon. I was doing all these kind of... Um, uh, working with some refugees. So I decided to get like a bulk load of lots of platters and stuff. And I set up kind of like a posh version of Deliveroo. But what we have is we have plates, we have pictures of how the food should look in the client's house. There's yeah. a tablecloth, there's a runner, there's serving dishes. A guy turns up with a box, half is full of our serving platters, half with the food. He sets the table. You know, the chicken is in the yellow dish and he knows exactly how it should look. There's candles and then we leave people to enjoy it. And then we yeah. put the dishes up three hours later. That became our kind of everyday business. So from Monday to Friday, on a good week, we'll have anything between 40 to 50 of those banquet in the box. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So regardless of what's happening, and obviously every business has busy periods. So for us, May to July is very busy. Then yeah. September to December is really busy. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are pockets, and this just keeps the business rolling along. Yeah. But extra revenue that started coming in, um, which meant a separate kitchen, separate staff, separate dishes, and the menu changes every month. Um, so you get the same menu for everyone? Yep. Yeah. Wow. Obviously, we can change if someone's vegan, vegetarian, yeah. pescatarian. But, but it's, it's quite menu. efficient for you and, I guess, inspiring for you because you're changing it seasonally. But also, we've given something to our customers that they needed. Yeah. And so sometimes, you know, that gets used quite a lot but they just can't be chopped and changed around because we don't, otherwise that becomes very bespoke. And we've made sure the bespoke side of the business is very different. This is the menu. This is how it is in a box. It's working really well. And we work with quite an established, we promote lots of the local businesses because of it. So we use, you know, black cabs because we're black and white is our logo. So we use the British black cab. Yeah. it. Um, and they pick up our staff and they pick up our dishes and bring it back to head office. So yeah. I think you have to keep evolving. And, you know, some people spend more energy in, ha in their perception. We yeah. had to, because um, we are a service-based uh, business, trends are changing, food prices going up, what can we offer? Um, and then we also have a premium side of our business that's based around farm to table sort of menus and then you know so we, we think we start off anything from the banquet to the box to something which is really really specialized a la carte that could be five thousand pounds a head and that's what i love about our business that if the concept is the same but it's a different price point depending on what your requirement is yeah that's amazing so have you got any ideas for what's next so I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to do something before for Christmas, but I think with my regular clientele and new clients, we just have to focus on, we, we have like 20 different um, styles of doing a turkey. So <laughs> wow. we got that like going on. Yeah. Yeah, so we're busy with we're busy busy with Thanksgiving. We already have about forty five Thanksgiving turkeys to think. Some are kosher, some are halal, some are normal. So yeah. I love 
that the rock and roll side of our business because <laughs> working with different farmers, I've always secured my turkeys, which is quite funny. Yeah. Um, next thing for us, I think early next year, the one thing I don't get enough time to do is share recipes. Mm. Uh, so I actually am I'm, I'm very lazy in terms of um, on Instagram. I, I, I rather put a proper photo with a proper story and post it rather than willy-nilly just posting every no, day. I don't think that's lazy. I think that's smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's smart. <laughs> so I rather tell the storytelling about, you know, so some obviously most of my clientele I can't name. I can't okay. tell you the location. And if I could, I probably would get much more business coming in. But that's not what our business is about. It's very mm-hmm. select. We have fewer events, but they're targeted to the right people. That's just so important to my soul. Yeah. It's so important to my happiness and it's important to my business because I don't want it to be this huge mass production. Otherwise, if I want to make money, I'll just go back to banking. Yeah. <laughs> it's about <laughs> the numbers. So, yeah, I haven't asked the question. Uh, we're going to create this new concept called the sharing table. Okay. And I also want to do a couple of public-based events around that. So I don't want to call it a supper club or a pop-up, but I want to cherry-pick people to come in and have a dialogue. Everybody's affected by things that are happening around the world with Brexit, with Trump, um, with all these sort of shootings that go on. There's a lot of, these are things that people talk about on dinner parties. So I want to create a concept of calling the sharing table where we come and share our experiences, things that we have a beef about, and how, how we can help. And usually when I'm talking about these things at private events and I talk about my charity work, people often say, well, here, I want to give a donation to this charity or I want to come and help. You know, you've all helped quite a bit with... Well, it was you that introduced us to Solidarity Sports, wasn't it? Yeah. And that's why we've done what we've done for that. But that I feel like that is just the start of yeah. something. So, yeah, so that sort of conversation, we want to take it to a little bit of a public platform where we have, I don't want to just be people who just pay £40 or £50 and just come and eat the food. I want people to really, you know, what's your part in this in this community? Not just London, but also how can we make a bit of a difference without sounding cheesy? Because no, you- I think there's so uh, much. I know Ellie, my daughter, was so inspired by meeting the families that yeah. were affected by Grenfell. And, you know, we both walked away from that feeling like we wanted to do more. Yeah. And I know you quite often cook for them, don't you, for the survivors yeah. on yeah. a Sunday? Every Sunday we put some, um, you know, that's for most of these people, this is the only hot meal they have during the whole week. And so we just put it in boxes and have it delivered to them, chicken, couscous, rice, yeah. some, some dessert. And this week I got to play mini golf. I got to do something fun. But <laughs> these children, you know, there's some of them are hugely, hugely impacted. And if you can play, kick a football around or play with them or share food with them, mm. it's, you're, you're, you know, sometimes time is a very precious thing to give. Definitely. It's one of the hardest things to give as well, I think. That's why it's so valuable, isn't it? I think time is the most precious thing you can give to anybody, even if you can just sit and listen to somebody. I want to create this kind of forum through food where we can be very honest to each other because whilst Instagram is great for promoting businesses and making great connections like you and I have, Mm -hmm. it also has made people a bit more distance as well. Picking up a phone, calling that client, sealing a deal. Most of my events get booked up 
when I talk to the person. If you hide behind an email or Instagram, you're yeah. only going to go so far. Totally. So it's, it's that human connection we're missing out on where you can be so personable and just say, hey, you know, I see you and I hear you. And often I get to do that through my events and the food. Like I really engage with people. So I think my next thing is do it more on a public platform where we encourage people to enjoy food, how it's meant to be enjoyed and start those conversations and really connect and help one another. Love it. There's so many more things I want to talk to you about, but we probably, in the interest of keeping this to a manageable podcast, probably ought to leave it there. But I think there's so many useful things that people will get from that. You know, your your clarity of vision and your ambition is really inspiring to me and I hope that people have really enjoyed listening to you so thank you so much Saima welcome thank you Fiona you've been listening to a podcast from the brand stylist you can find out more about the brand stylist as well as access dozens of really useful branding resources at thebrand-stylist.com you can also find me on instagram the brand underscore stylist And if you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please do leave me a comment. Thank you very much.